0: Let's pray before we open God's Word this morning. Our Father, we pray that You would open Your Word to us this morning, that we would find that You're impressing its eternal truths upon our hearts, that we would know that we have heard from You, and that we have seen a great Lord and Savior, Christ. And that can only happen by the power of your Spirit. Would you send him to work among us, in and us, and for your glory? In Christ's name, amen. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. This is the holy, inerrant, sufficient word of God. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, He left nothing outside His control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him, but we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. But the grass withers, the flower fades, the word of God is forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. As we discussed in previous weeks, there was some fascination, even honor, possibly even worship, that was offered to angels by the Jews here in the first century. And the author wants to make it clear to his readers that though angels are glorious beings, though they are great, he wants them to understand, do you not know that, that you, mankind, you people are even greater than angels? And especially and most importantly, he wants them to know that men and women in Christ, you are greater than angels. So many, again, this week in our world, they are looking for meaning, looking for purpose. Some of you in this room are still hunting for that, uh, even this morning as you sit here in, in this place. And I think once we understand what we were created to be and what we will be someday in Christ... Uh, This present momentary affliction, as Paul will say in another place, all of a sudden becomes something that's not only bearable, but something that we can actually find that there is rejoicing in, in the midst of it. I want us to see that this morning as we go through this text. We're going to do it over three points this morning. The first is the glory of mankind. The second is the troubling present, and the third is the glory of Jesus. So, the glory of mankind, the troubling present, and the glory of Jesus. Our first point this morning the glory of mankind. The writer begins with a negation in the text. He says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. And then he gives the positive, the other side of that negation who this world is to be subjected to. And he makes this point by quoting from Psalm 8 in the Old Testament, a psalm that David wrote. Where David begins with, if you were to look back to Psalm 8, he will say this at the very beginning of Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth! You have set Your glory above the heavens. That is God's glory. His weightiness is so great it can't even be contained by the heavens. It surpasses everything. There's an interesting point in Old Testament history. You remember the people of God in the Old Testament. They, for a long time, for generations upon generations, they had never built a permanent structure for. God to come down and to dwell in in the midst of His people so that they might worship Him as He was in their midst. And you remember that Solomon finally builds a temple. And when Solomon builds the temple on that day that he is declaring the blessing of the temple before the people, when he dedicates the temple, he says this, he says, Behold, the heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. God's glory is so great, is saying, this temple can't contain it. And he's echoing his father David who will say in the very beginning of Psalm 8 that's quoted in this text, he will say, listen, not only can't the temple contain it, the heavens can't even contain the majesty and the glory of this great God. That's where David's mind is at at the beginning of Psalm 8. And then he has an experience like I would guess most of you, if not all of you, have had at some point in your life. He's out at night, as he speaks of there in verse 3 of Psalm 8, and as we see, beginning to be quoted in verse 6 of our text, he's no doubt out in the country No doubt this happened to you when you were out in the country away from city lights and the dark black night and you look up at the sky and you look up at that dark blackness and then you see just stars that seem to be without number in the sky. Seemingly countless. I looked it up this week you and I, at the most, when we go out on a dark night, away from city lights, when we look up at the stars, it's estimated that we see anywhere between two and 10,000 stars. Most think we probably see about 6,000 stars. Regardless of the number, God has placed every one of those stars in the sky, We're told in the Scriptures that he knows every single one of them by name. And as you're looking at those stars, no doubt this is your experience. This was David's experience in Psalm 8. As he is looking at these stars, his mind then drifts beyond those stars that he can see. You're a 21st century person, and so you know that there are stars beyond the stars. In fact, you know that there are not only stars beyond the stars, you know that there are entire galaxies beyond the 6,000 stars that you can see with your naked eye. We thought, we knew how many that was, and that all changed. Hubble Telescope in 2016 when it sent back images and scientists began going back to the drawing board and The estimates that they had had before of the number of galaxies beyond our own, they then decided, you know what, we probably need to multiply that by ten. They now believe that there are well over two trillion galaxies. Maybe as many as 10 trillion galaxies. And each galaxy contains numerous stars. Our own galaxy, the Milky Way, is estimated to contain 100 billion stars. Or what we might call suns. Just this one galaxy. And if we were to take that low number of 2 trillion galaxies, that means that there would be somewhere around 200 billion trillion stars in the universe. Another way of saying it is 200 sextillion. I didn't even know that was a number. That's a number of 200 with 21 zeros after it. It's equal to if you and I were to try to take a cup, a measuring cup, to all the oceans in the entire world and we were to measure out by cup all the water in all the oceans of the world, that's how many Sons there are out there. Possibly. And God created them all. He set each of them in their place, and He knows each of them by name. Even that expanding, expansive heaven cannot contain Him. David wouldn't have even known what we know today. He looks up at that sky and as he looks at all of those stars and he thinks about how many they are and how great they are in that expanse, his mind then drifts beyond those stars and he thinks how great and mighty and magnificent and glory must be this God, And then he does what I'm thinking most of you have experienced. He thinks then upon himself. He thinks, how small am I? Just a speck. Even the mightiest, the richest, the most beautiful among us is just a speck of dust in the universe. And then David has this thought. It's in verse 6 of our text. But you are mindful of man. You are mindful of me. It should astonish you. This majestic God, who not even the heavens can contain, is mindful of us. He's mindful of you. Now, you should immediately have the question why? Why? Why would He care? For me? And David gives the answer You made him, meaning mankind, you made him for a little while, lower the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Why is God mindful of us? Why is he mindful of me? Why is he mindful of you? Because he has put us at the very center of his creation. Out of everything that he has created, we, you, I have a more treasured and exalted place in all of the creation, more than the soaring eagle, more than the great oak tree, more than the great blue whale in the ocean, more than even the angels and the archangels that are before Him in heaven. You and I have the most treasured place in all of creation. Why? Because you and I alone were created in His image. Created in His image. Crowned with it, as David says, because we were created in His image. You and me. Calvin makes me laugh when he's commenting upon this thought and this fact. He said, Whoever is not astonished and deeply affected at this miracle is more than ungrateful and stupid. What is man? It's not so much a question as it is an exclamation. What a God! What a God that He's mindful of me! The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, Now in putting creation and subjection to Him, He left Nothing outside his control. That is, we were created in his image to have dominion over all the rest of creation. But, but here's the issue, right? It doesn't feel like that. You don't have to live long to say it sure doesn't feel like everything is, is under our dominion. And that leads to our second point, the troubling present. I don't know if you saw it this week, but a video was circulating with King Charles III, which we now need to call him, signing condolence letters as one of his first acts as king to different people in the realm regarding his mother having passed away, and he was using a fountain pen as he was signing these letters, and then as he was holding this fountain pen, it began to leak in his hand, and in frustration, he hands the the pen to his wife Camilla, and he says this on video for everybody to hear: "I wish I had a British accent." Uh, he said, "I hate this. Oh, I can't bear this bloody thing. They do this every stinking time. Even a king among us can't get a fountain pen to be subject to him. That's funny." There are things we've experienced this week that aren't so funny. A car refusing to run. A child refusing to sleep. Legs that refuse to walk. Cancer that refuses to go into remission. I had a friend and mentor call me this week on Wednesday. Wednesday. Uh, he and his wife were very important in Leah's and my lives when we were in seminary, and he called on Wednesday to say, "Jason, uh, his young wife, young wife, 60 years old, said, "Ah, her, her cancer has spread to her brain, and I just wanted you to know." That was Wednesday. She died Friday. It doesn't feel like things are in submission. The writer anticipates this feeling, he remembers that he's writing to Christians, he's writing to Christians that are facing persecution, he's seeking to comfort them, and so he, he knows the question that's in their mind, he knows the questions that in yours and my minds, he, so he answers it. He says, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection. Why? Because it isn't. This creation isn't yet fully in subjection to us because we refuse to remain in subjection to our Creator. God created us as image bearers to be vice regents, as it were, on this earth to serve as Regents, kings, and queens on this earth subjecting everything in this world to our dominion as we presented our bodies as a living sacrifice to Him, worshiping Him. But that wasn't enough for Adam. He didn't want to simply be like God, he wanted to be God. And that is the great folly of mankind this is the root of sin everyone wants to be their own little god you will not be the boss of me Adam ate from that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When he took that bite, it was an act of cosmic rebellion saying, I want to sit upon the throne. And every single one of us fell with and in him in that first sin. And we are born into this world with that same heart. Part of the curse is that this world does not submit itself to our dominion. Because we did not submit to His. Sin is the great curse of this world. If you listen to people around you, whether that's reporters or educators or politicians or Hollywood actors or actresses, your next door neighbor family, your friends, everyone knows, everyone knows this world's messed up. You live in it. It constantly splashed with its mud and grime. You know this world's messed up. Everyone agrees on that. We just don't agree the reason why. What's the great problem? Is it that people are ignorant? If that's the problem, then then education is the answer. If it's income inequality, then redistribution is the answer. If the problem is racism, then anti-racism or tolerance is the answer. If it is the destruction of the earth, then environmentalism or recycling is the answer. If the problem is government, then right political action is the answer. But the Bible says the great problem of this world is none of these. They're but symptoms of the underlying sickness. The great disease that has contaminated the bloodstream of this world is sin. It is a cancer that kills. And all the problems that you and I and our children and our neighbors and the people in our community and our friends and our family are suffering through, all of these problems find their genesis in sin. Sin. All fallen human beings living in a fallen world. Created to be image bearers of God. We are the crown jewel of His creation. We are to be worshiping Him and stewarding this world for His glory. We've all fallen from it. Actually encourages me some of the things that people will grab a hold of and say, oh, that is wicked and that is evil and that needs to be rectified because they're recognizing Recognizing we're living in a fallen world. It's often sad to me where they end up. I've come across a a car in East Lansing multiple times over the last few weeks that it's maybe the saddest bumper sticker I have ever read. It's a brown bumper sticker in color. It has white lettering on it and it just has three simple words on it. It says, tree-hugging, dirt worshiper. I think it's cute. It's not cute. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, Paul says in Romans. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. Look, I want you to care about the environment. I want you to labor hard against... Racist attitudes. I want you educating your children. Bible wants that. Our great need is Christ. We've fallen from the height of God's creation. Being formed from the dust as His image bearers to worshiping the dust. That's not cute. That's just silly and foolish. We'll laugh and we'll mock ancient civilizations. Ah, they worshipped the sun. Didn't they know? They worshipped the Nile River. Didn't they know? How hard it is to see our own folly. It's only by looking to God that things are made right. Right. The answer is not to motivate or educate or even eradicate. Man in and of himself As unable. We can't fix this because we are part and parcel of the problem. I heard a, a comedian say recently, humans make horrible people. The only solution is Christ. An answer outside of ourselves and beyond ourselves. You see, there is hope. And this is the writer's point. He says, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. But, there's a but telling us this experience has an expiration date. But, we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, He might taste death For everyone. Our third point, the glory of Jesus. We fell from our intended purpose, but God sent a Redeemer into this world to save us from our desperate state. To save this world from our desperate state so that all things might be set right. And He uses the name here. very first time in the book of Hebrews that He uses the name Jesus. The Son of God descends from heaven and He adorns Himself with human flesh and He takes upon Himself the name of Jesus. You see, here is the one in the image of God who upholds the image of God in man as the second Adam. And His name is Jesus. What did that angel say to Joseph? You shall call His name Jesus because He shall save His people from their sins. came to set us free from our sins. He was made a little lower than the angels. It's the great first step in Christ's humiliation. He became flesh. He subjects Himself to being part of what He had created for His own glory. He subjects Himself. He subjects Himself, as Paul was saying in another passage, to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is the apex of His humiliation. And this is where the writer leads us here in Hebrews. He gives us the effect, the cause, and the purpose. The effect that we see is that Jesus is crowned with glory and honor. And what was the cause of this? It was that He willingly suffered to the point of death, even death on a cross. As has been said throughout church history, first the cross, then the crown. That was true of Jesus, and so it's true for His people. First the cross then the crown. How do you know that, Jason? How do you know that to be true? Because He became flesh. Because He humbled Himself. He subjected Himself. He suffered. He died. Why? So that as the writer of Hebrews says here, so that by the grace of God, He might taste death for everyone. He tastes death. So that all of our enemies, All of our crosses, all of our burdens, all of our problems are laid in subjection underneath our feet as we dwell in Him who conquered them. It is all an act of God's amazing grace. He kills sin by His magnificent grace. Did you catch that? But we see Him for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering and death so that by the grace of God. It's His grace. John know in the... A famous 17th century theologian said it this way. He said, it was the gracious, free, sovereign purpose of God's will suited to and arising from His natural grace, love, goodness, pity, mercy, and compassion working together. It was not of any anger or displeasure on God's part against Christ that caused Christ's death. It was out of love. And kindness towards others who would not otherwise have been brought to glory that Christ would thus appointed to die. He tasted death for everyone. It's the final enemy. Tasted is a a figure of speech here that means that He experienced it in its full. He experienced the full wrath of His heavenly Father upon Him as He was on that cross. This Father whom the heavens cannot contain. He who is life experienced death. And a musician loses their hearing or a, a true genius loses their ability to remember, when a world athlete, world-class athlete loses their ability to, to walk across a room, experience that loss, like few others, just because of the drastic contrast of what they knew and what they are now experiencing. He is life. As the writer of Hebrews said at the very beginning of this book, He created all things. He is life. And He dies. He dies to restore all those who are His. He says in John 8, If anyone keeps My word, he will never Interestingly, taste death. He dies for us so that death may no longer have dominion over us. All things in subjection. All things. It says that He tasted death for everyone here. Everyone here does not mean every single person that has ever existed. The context here makes that clear. If we were to go on to Verse 10, we would see that everyone are those who are called many sons. The many sons He brings to glory. In 2.11, we see that those who are the many sons are those who are sanctified. In 2.13, we see this everyone are those who are the children of God given to Christ. Christ died for those who are His. It is all in subjection to Him. And all those that are in him, everything is made in subjection, made to be in subjection to him. That's the kicker for the writer of Hebrews here. We, those who experience this fallen world as his brothers and sisters, will see everything in subjection to us. Why? Because we rule with him. And his glory is our glory because we are in him. What is man that you are mindful of Him? He, he takes dust and He crowns us with glory and honor and creation. And, and then even when that is marred and when that is scarred because of our sin, He acts to redeem us, making that crown shine with all the more splendor as we reign within with Him in heaven forever. That's what He does. Making all His and our enemies a footstool beneath our feet. I have one question for you. One thing to think about in closing. And it's this. Do you know? Do you know how much you matter? Do you know that? So many people are seeking to find the reason in this world. And this is it. You were created to be a worshiper of God and to reign with Christ forever. That's what you were created for. Dear Christian, that's what you were redeemed to. You feel small, or you're? In Him, you are grand, great, all of eternity. Just a little bit of well-formed dirt. (laughs) A universe that is grander than our minds can comprehend, and yet... He takes us and He crowns us with glory and honor forever. I should stagger your mind. You say, well, I have trouble believing that. Well, you're in good company. That's why He's writing to the Hebrews to remind them. That's why He's writing to us to remind us. You're never inconsequential to God. You're never lost amidst all the things going on in this world to God. The trials and the troubles that you are in are never just one more thing to chalk up to fate. Because there is no such thing before the eyes of your God. Created in His image for His glory. He cares for you. He is mindful of you. Why? Why would we want to worship anything else? Be salt and light in the world. Be activists for all kinds of things in the world. But be a worshiper of God alone. A worshiper of Christ alone. As he is more than worthy. He's mindful of you. You. Let's pray. Father, we do exalt You this morning. Thankful that You are our God, our Creator. We're thankful for the great gift of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer confess that we are nothing apart from You. We want to believe more and more that we are everything as we are attached to You. You receive the glory and the praise from not just our lips, but from our hearts and our very lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.